You're listening to Anam Radio. Igor Stravinsky's music is bold and invigorating, and over his lifetime he became one of the most influential composers of the 20th century. In particular, three ballets, The Firebird, Petrushka and The Rite of Spring, written between 1910 to 1913, completely upended classical music convention and are now considered some of the most engaging and exciting pieces in the orchestral repertoire. These pieces were only possible because of a Russian ballet company known as the Ballet Russe, an artistic movement that took Europe and then the world by storm. Here's Lee Christophus, a leading arts commentator who takes us back to the 1890s when the Ballet Russe began. I would say that like all things to do with the ballet, it began organically. There's a group of friends who met very intimately, painters and designers and poets and musicians in St. Petersburg. They included Alexander Benoit and Leon Bakst, who wrote about all aspects of Russian art. Those two men were driving forces behind the idea of a magazine that became really the most important contemporary analysis of the arts in Russia called Miriskusva, which was means the world of art. So they looked at everything historical, they looked at everything native, they looked at the crafts and the early tradition of folk painting, uh, icons from the Russian Orthodox churches and so on. At the same time, they were all obsessed with ballet. Then Serge Diaghilev, who grew up in Novgorod, was in St. Petersburg studying law, although he tried his luck with music. He also thought he might become an opera singer, but he was absolutely hopeless. And eventually he met these artists and they invited him in. And they thought he was a country bumpkin, really. He turned out to be the most sophisticated of all of, all of them, of all of that crowd. And then Diaghilev introduced the group to Mikhail Fokin, a dancer and choreographer in the Imperial Ballet. He was smart, really smart. And he also was interested in folkloric stories and folkloric music. And Fokin used to, in the summer holidays, put on a pair of sand shoes, a pair of canvas trousers and a jacket, take off with a mandolin and walk across the Caucasus Mountains, playing with the locals, recording their music and learning all their dances. Fokin was influenced by Isadora Duncan, an American dancer who threw away all the conventions of traditional ballet. She looked at Greek statues, sculptures like the Parthenon sculptures and so on, and she replicated this kind of Greco-Roman history of dancing through her own body. Very lyrical, very playful, lots of jumping and dancing and whirling around, almost folkloric too in some ways. And that dance became the turning point in the whole history of ballet. And Fokin was able to do that because he was surrounded by people who were also getting thoroughly bored by the long, tedious, endless story ballets that the Russians had been producing in the 1890s. Of course, he got into terrible trouble with the authorities and they criticised him, but Diaghilev recognised immediately this was a breakthrough. And then you have Vaslav Nijinsky and Tamara Kasavina, who outshone the ballerinas of the time with their movement and intellect. And they were able to bring a theatricality that had never been seen and a great intellect to dance, which again was unusual. So suddenly, not only do you have choreographers reaching the level of really intellectual artists, composers, philosophers and writers, you have dancers who are as smart and as creative as those people. 
The result of that is 20 years, from 1909 to 1929, a constant stream of creativity. Every possible variation you can imagine. Dancers in plastic costumes, dancers almost naked, dancers wearing Grecian costumes, but the traditional things like tutus almost totally disappeared. So you have this nucleus of people who are together forging the concept of a new form of ballet. This new form of ballet took Paris and Europe by storm. Many artists took part, including composers Debussy and Prokofiev, visual artists Picasso and Matisse, and even fashion designer Coco Chanel. But Igor Stravinsky was one of the ballet's most significant discoveries. Diaghilev knew his father, who's an opera singer in the Imperial Opera Company in St. Petersburg, and he saw him at concerts and stuff. And he saw him when he was playing at the very first contemporary music evenings. Concerts were established by some musicians in, in the city. And eventually he made his debut there. So over a period of years, this kid was developing very well, and Diaghilev was aware of that. Diaghilev wanted someone to write a ballet based on the folk story of the Firebird, a magical bird who saves the prince from being killed by an evil magician. After his first choice couldn't complete the score, he sought Stravinsky. He just decided, like you decide, I'm going to cut my hair today, to write to a friend in some other place to say, I understand young Stravinsky is working with you, sent him to me, I've got a commission for him. And that was the Firebird. The kind of sounds that he created were utterly fresh. They may not have been entirely new, but they were very fresh. So when, two years later, they came up with the idea of Petrushka, well, in fact, it was straight away. It took two years to do Petrushka. And that happened because Diaghilev heard him playing away this very percussive, very awkward, unusual kind of music, multiple rhythms, one after the other, just sliding from one into the next. But the ballet opens on the street in a fair, uh, a street market, if you like, in which there is a puppet house with this rather strange magician, unusual personality. Nobody knows what he really does other than the puppets, but he's a bit spooky. And he makes the puppets dance for the audience who are on the street. There's a dancing bear. There are prostitutes. There are nursemaids from the aristocratic houses who are having their day off. And for each of those elements, those groups of people, there are new themes, new sounds, new clusters of noise. And it's choppy. A lot of it is discordant. You have two tones which clash bouncing off each other repeatedly all the way through the work. Uh, well, not all the way. Sometimes they completely fall away and you get a single melody. And it might be just one instrument with a kind of sh shady underscoring in the orchestra. So constantly you're being forced to rethink what you think about the work. And when you look at the two ballets side by side or listen to them, Glossy, gorgeous, glamorous music all through the Firebird. Very, very complex, folkloric, modern, abstract music in the second one, in Petrushka. It's a pantomime inside a story ballet. Petrushka dances like a rag doll. 
the ballerina is like a very stiff doll, like a heavy plastic doll. So she can't bend without looking like she's doing right angles and stuff like that. Whereas the Moor, he's just this big lumbering giant. So basically, most of his movements are just sort of lumbering from side to side as he dances, with his arms just sort of rocking back and forwards. So it is that aspect, but also the music for Petrushka is very stirring. And because at the end you don't actually know whether Petrushka's just collapsed or whether he's died, is his heart broken or is he just totally depressed? And most of us see it as the death of Petrushka. He's the outsider. He's never ever going to be allowed to win. And everything he does is trampled on. We know the everyman's story, you know, the outsider's story, is one we all respond to, particularly when it's presented to us in a new way. And of course, in between those things, he was starting to work on the Rite of Spring, it was festering in his mind, and that broke every rule. What he did was just smash the orchestra open. I'm Eve. I'm in my first year at Annam and I play the French horn. I've played Rite of Spring a couple of times. I played Firebird last year. It's just so cool. It's a very cool piece. It's quite dense, can be quite loud. The whole brass section, just really going for it. It's just one of those parts in music where you just, your whole body is just going for it. And it's really exciting. You've got your heart pounding and when, once you've finished, it's like, oh, oh my God, we finished it. Big grin on your face. And yeah, I, I think performing that is one of one of my highlights. I think every musician has a relationship with Stravinsky because, as I said, he really changed it. He's a paradigma for, for 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 musicians and for music history. Everything was different after Stravinsky, and after a very young Stravinsky, he was in his twenties when he composed all these three pieces, and he lived almost ninety years. So <laughs> uh, he, he really changed the history of music. Eduardo Strauss is a Brazilian conductor based in Berlin and he'll be conducting the Anam Orchestra when they play Petrushka. And the challenge? Telling the story of Petrushka without the dancers. It's really, 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 really a big challenge. And it is, especially because we don't have the dancers on stage, we are responsibility to tell a story because we are the only tool we have to tell this story. Although it might sound like uh, an advantage because then we can tell the story the way we want without any interference, actually the responsibility is much, much bigger because music per se is a very subjective way of telling a story. Stravinsky's work will be performed with Borodin's Prince Igor and Fire's Three-Cornered Hat, all works commissioned by the Ballet Russe. It's important to know that all the pieces that we are doing are ballet music, actually. If not, if not strictly thought to be a ballet, it was at least thought to be danceable. And while much of the original choreography is lost and academics continue to dispute Diaghilev's positive influence, the music from the Ballet Russe is still performed and adored around the globe. A lot of it comes back to discussions of how significant was the company 
and how much of it was Diaghilev and how much of it was the other people. In many ways, the thing that has disappeared is the choreography. Many of the ballets are totally lost. But the music continues in concert halls, it continues in cinema, it continues in all sorts of things uh, that people choose to do with it. A lot of it has been taken and broken down and reconstructed. There's an argument by Lynn Garofalo, who's one of the great writers on him, and she said, uh, so much for collaboration. He often just sort of came in and rode right over the top of everyone. He also bullied people. There's no question about it. His social relationships were catastrophic in many ways. For all of the tension and all the dramas, you know, he often didn't pay people. He often forgot to pay people. Sometimes he didn't have the money to pay people. They all felt betrayed by him at some point. They all felt used. And at the same time, when he died, they all knew that none of this would have happened without him. And we are all the luckier for it. So it is through the second generation of the Ballerus that it went beyond Europe and South America and New York and places like that. It actually became universal. Every country in Europe has done a Diaghilev Ballet somewhere along the line. So there is this sense for me that Yes, he was a very difficult man, but he is immensely gifted and he made other immensely gifted people shine. Can't ask for much more than that. Stravinsky's Petrushka will be performed by the Anam Orchestra on Saturday the 7th of September at 7.30pm, conducted by Eduardo Strausser. The Polotsvian dancers from Borodin's Prince Igor and Fire's Three-Cornered Hat Suite will also be on the program. For more information, visit anam.com.au.